This is a pregame engineer tugging mare racing podcast. I'll figure out the name of our podcast after 263 episodes at some point. Anyway, today is October 6, 2020. I'm Tugget Mayor Russie Wallace in the PTM Podcast Studio in Atlanta, Georgia. You're listening to episode number 263, and this podcast is sponsored by you. That's right. Go to patreon.com forward slash PTM. Join the Watch Drink Club for as little as $1 a month. Get that free koozie and some stickers. Best part is, every cent this year, we're once again donating to sponsored drivers to so join the PTM Posse today. Be a part of the support you love. This week's show brought to you by, brought to you by our official sponsors at that $5 and up per month level. They are... Aaron Bearden, Robert Kevinger, Colby McClay, Eric Kevin Ryan Keith, Patrick Leary, Jeff Brown, Grant, Brandon Kraft, Kathy McDonald, Stacey Wright, Brandon Carl, Ricky Porter, Joe, Julie Bosley, Eddie Greer, Thor, Young Motorsports, David Mullins, Patrick Johnson, Brett Morris, Chris Smoke, Red Rosado, Chad Napa, Stacey Coleman, Lisa Jamana, Rick Houston, Sarah, and Barry, Evan Roller, Grant Harrison, Matthew Bishop, Matthew Camper, Harry Balsania, Evan Jones, Les Miller, and Jumpy Bob. Woohoo! All right. Well, with that, uh, completely botched the intro like multiple times. Um, so it can only go up from here. We'll bring on the co-host of the PTM podcast in the PTM North Carolina studio, bringing engineer Andrew Sherwin. What's up, dude? Hey, man. What's going on, man? Uh, like I said, I don't know if you heard me doing that, but that was uh, that was a struggle bus. I mean, I'm I, I was definitely on the short bus today. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you're the bug, and sometimes you're the windshield. <laughs> well, hopefully, I'll just scrape myself off of that, and with that, we'll bring on our guest tonight. First timer on the PTM podcast, covering all things Atlanta sports. Y'all know what we think about that. Operator of the ATL Sportswire at atlsportswire.com and at ATL Sportswire on Twitter. How's that for consistency? Welcome to the show, Jason Freiberger. J- uh, Jack- Jason. See, I've already, I, I should just start over yeah, or quit. Jackson. <laughs> Happy to be here. Uh, Jackson, what's up, man? Doing well, doing well. Been a interesting and eventful weekend. Was able to attend the race on Sunday, but excited for uh, the rest of these NASCAR playoffs here. Man, we are we are too, and infinitely jealous that you got to go to that uh, race. And we'll get to that yeah. here in a moment. But before we do, y'all know how we start this show. What are y'all drinking tonight? Oh, Jackson, <laughs> just uh, just some Mountain Dew for me. Mountain Dew, my man. Sherwin, what you got? I got uh, Maker's Mark and Coke Zero here in my Braves glass. You got the courtesy of Taco Mac. Braves glass, Braves hat. You're doing it all right. I've got a Chattanooga hat on. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Uh, Jesse Awuji shirt, though. You know, that's always fun. Um, I've got the Jim Beam and LaCroix. LaCroix? I don't know what you're supposed to say. Did I ever tell you all that story? Uh, I could go down a, a <laughs> quick. <laughs> this sounds good. Oh, man. I'll probably get sued for this one. Who knows? But I used to work with this fella, right? And uh, Sherwin, now your parents, uh, your your mom taught French for, uh, I was about to say a thousand years, but, you know, that's making it sound like she's old or something. But she, she taught French. 30. Yeah. 30 Every bit of 30. Through her retirement and all that. And they go to France and stuff and all that. I'm pretty sure she would say LaCroix just because that's, you know, what you do, right? Well, I worked with this fella, and I'm telling you, we would walk into like a coffee shop. And, and, you know, he's one of these, uh, Francophile people or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we walk in and he go, yeah, let me get a, uh, a large coffee and a, uh, ham and cheese croissant. And I go, what the hell was that dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> he just busting out croissant. <laughs> like, it's, 
<laughs> ridiculous. Like, I mean, I speak uh, decent Spanish, but I'm not like, yeah, I'm heading on down to uh, Amarillo, Texas. Like, no, dude, it's Amarillo. Just uh, I can't say, pull that off. Say the thing, man. <laughs> like, uh, well, so. we got Lafayette, Georgia, right? <laughs> and I'm <laughs> from Fayetteville, Georgia. Right, right. <laughs> you know, there's no Fayette or Lafayette. <laughs> right, right. So I don't know, man. Uh, it made me want to like take off my shirt and scream. I'll have the freedom sandwich. Woo! <laughs> like, yeah. just to, or let me get a Royale with cheese. Just because yeah. <laughs> they don't know what the metrics or the standard unit system is. <laughs> Quarter uh, pounder, anybody? Pulp yeah, Fiction? Yeah. No. Uh, I'm with you. I got you. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew the uh, the the. I don't know whether to call it prayer or, or you know, uh, fire brimstone pre killing you <laughs> uh, speech that. Uh, well, Jackson <laughs> did. <laughs> oh yeah. Same well, way. that one in the one from uh, Boondock Saints oh, in yeah. Latin. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's some cold blooded. You know what? <laughs> it sure is. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jackson. This is how it goes on the PTM podcast. Never know what you're going to get. Uh, besides a. Uh, a Jim Beam and LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Jackson, we got plenty of Atlanta sports to talk about. We'll talk about it in a minute. But let's start with our, our specialty, what we're here for, NASCAR. And uh, I understand you're among the newer fans. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I joined, I'd say, the NASCAR ranks of fandom in mid-May or so. Uh, I wrote a column on that yesterday on my website, but... I'm just an avid Atlanta sports and UGA fan was looking for something, anything live to bet on or watch and enjoy in the spring, you know, with the pandemic and finally found NASCAR. I know they started up the iRacing right off the bat and then they went to, uh, to Darlington. So I was watching the first couple of races there. And then that's when I went to Talladega was I was just looking for an event to go to. And so I went with my dad for father's day and then we went back after the rain out that Monday and it was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. I just loved how fast they were going, the roar of the engines and everything. Everyone was having a good time and partying. And I know I only saw it at like, what was it, like 10% capacity, but it was still awesome. And uh, just quickly became a big Chase Elliott fan from being yeah. a Georgia sports fan and everything. So kind of went from there, watched the Cup Series. And then around the 4th of July when Briscoe won at the uh, Indy Road Course, really picked up Xfinity fandom as well. Yeah. You know, we, we tell people all the time, uh, and Sherwin will back me up on this, that if you're kind of a casual fan and you haven't been to a race, go to a race and you will be a, a super fan. It is Definitely. It's it so makes different. A huge difference. Yeah. I tell all my friends that, that are, you know, all into the Braves and UGA and they're like, oh, NASCAR, they just go around left turns for laps for hours. And I'm like, yeah, it's more than that. Well, we'll we'll talk about it here in a bit, but we've got a lot of right hand turns coming up next season, sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, hell of a cool announcement last week. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's start then with, or let's continue on, uh, Jackson, with your specialty here, and uh, talk a little bit of Braves. Um, it feels like to me that we, that, you know, I, I know there's like the Boston curse and there's these other curses, but. We we got out of the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> like, Finally, yeah. Holy smokes, right? It was huge for sure. And then the big win today. I loved how they came back and rallied. I was pretty worried when they were down four to three. Um, but I just I really hope they can get out of the NLDS and take that next step that they haven't been able to get for so many years. Yeah. And and what's the deal with these two PM or two oh eight PM games? I don't you know. I'm sitting oh, there at work trying to like refresh, refresh, small, refresh. Small market teams. 
Yeah, so aggravating. I know Cincinnati, and as you mentioned, the Marlins being another small market, but it just seems like it's like the Yankees and Dodgers' privilege that they always get the uh, primetime slots. We know what what yeah. talks about that that we've talked about a million times on the show that uh, you know the the older fans the I mean they're probably more like in their fifties and sixties at this point that you know they they got the three channels or the five channels or whatever it was and one of them was going to be TBS Superstation yeah for sure and uh, and so there's Braves fans all over the place even if it's a small market it's a you know I was a big more, reach. more before my lifetime but I know that the Braves were like the Dallas Cowboys of baseball there for a bit yeah yeah sure when you were going to say. Oh yeah, no, definitely America's team, and 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 Atlanta for everybody listening is not a small market. It's no. a small market for Atlanta teams in terms <laughs> of the pro side. Yeah, uh, except for maybe basketball, but and then football always drives a lot more interest. But uh, Atlanta really behaves a lot like a small market because nobody in Atlanta is from Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, I'd say though for the Braves, it's a little different than the other teams because you have the Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Carolina type pull that those other teams don't really have. That's a good point. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, the whole and, and then when the Superstation was really in its heyday, um, you know, a lot of people that were watching the Yankees, because that's the only thing that came on in North Carolina, or maybe Cincinnati, depending on what part of the state you're in, they started getting the Braves every night, and so there's a lot of North Carolina Braves yeah, fans too. Yeah. Well, I mean, on top of that, um, shoot, Sherwin, we're not like, we're not ancient here, but there's, there's two teams that I could see every game, uh, when I was growing up, obviously the Braves, but the other one, uh, was, uh, Chicago, um, uh, the Cubs. Oh yeah. WGN. Yeah. Yeah. The other superstation. So, you know, um, anyway, yeah, the big market stuff there. Uh, but yeah, breaking the curse of the first round for me was like that, that was, uh, uh, I feel like that uh, we, we talk a lot about momentum here and, and there's, you know, two sports uh, uh, that we're paying attention to in the, in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, obviously the uh, uh, NBA going on and all that, but um, so many playoff things going on, but, um, but, you know, getting out of that first round feels like, like, uh, like I said, a, a curse is broken and that we, we have a chance now uh, there, there almost feels like less pressure in the second round to, oh, uh, sure. to actually do something. But you can't overlook that as I think, I wouldn't say they did it. They kind of did it early in the game, and then they rallied back today. That the uh, the Braves are much more dominant than the Marlins on paper, but they're a feisty team that's gonna uh, give you hell for as many innings as they can. So, yeah, Sherwin, did you get a chance to watch it? No, I didn't get to see yeah, one minute of it. Um, it's just the way it is. A uh, busy day at work. I didn't even. I mean, I knew what time the game started, but I had no opportunity between two and five to even look. But I did see uh, all the stuff that the Braves posted on the Instagrams and the Twitters and the whatnot, and I saw that Acuna hit another moon ball to lead <laughs> off a game and then promptly got hit in his next at bat, which is, I'll just say what it is. It's bullshit. Mm. Um, and then we did exactly what we thought these Braves were capable of doing when you get a good starting effort from your pitcher. You get to our bullpen, you're in trouble. And when we get to yours – Balls be going over the fence, and that's exactly what happened in the seventh inning. Is that what the oh, difference sure. is between this year and and these previous years? Yeah, we the Braves generally considering uh, they're considered to have the best bullpen in the game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a couple of good starting pitchers, but we can close a lot of those gaps, especially with a twenty nine man roster or mm-hmm. twenty eight and a half, whatever we're calling it. Um, so we got fifteen pitchers, so. 
bring it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, piggybacking off that note, I love, I don't know if it's Snicker or Alex Anthopoulos who's making the final roster decisions right now, but I love like how aggressive they're being with these playoff deadline rosters, and they left guys like Luke Jackson and uh, Mike Fultonovich off the team, Ender and Ciarte in favor of the Paches, and then your Yanoas and Bryce Wilsons for your inning-eating relief when a guy like Freed today didn't do as well, and you may need those guys later on in the week. Yeah, 100%. With Pache, that's all about how do we put late in the game uh, the best possible defense that we can assemble uh, on the field at the same time, and, and that's that's why Pochett's there. We, and we're not going to ask him to hit. We, we're just going to ask him to play center field, and, and Ronald move on over to right. But uh, I think he plays, or at least in the regular season, he sometimes plays favorites with guys like Marcakis sometimes, and those are maybe his friends, and he just doesn't want to bench them or not give them enough at-bats. But I feel like whoever's making these decisions right now is in, like, all-in mode to win. And uh, it just seems like a different vibe than the last couple of seasons. Vibe. Yeah, well, yeah, go, go ahead, Rusty. Oh, you go for it. Oh, I was going to say, moving Freddie up to second just to get him that maybe half of an extra at-bat over some short period of time is super important because – Acuna gets on base. I mean, you have three of the top five uh, OBP guys in the league, uh, or at least in the National League this year, and those guys are batting one, two, three. There's no that. There's not a secret to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're we're playing money ball, but we're we're pretty much uh, you know writing it on our sleeve doing that. Um, and Jackson, you had mentioned vibe, and that's something that you know back in the '90s, uh, walking around, it was. It was kind of like how northern Alabama, anything north of, say, the Piedmont, if that exists over there, uh, you walk around, you walk into Walmart and see the greeter. Hey, how you doing? Roll Tide. Like, that. that's just how they uh, how they greet each other, you know? And yeah. and here in Atlanta, you know, in the 90s, hey, how you doing? Go Braves. Like, it, it, that's what it felt like for, for so long. And I feel like we're starting to see more of that. You know, you're walking around, uh, just walking around my office here in Atlanta, and, and folks, you hadn't... Uh, you know, really talked to or, or seen before. And, uh, hey, they, they got Braves jersey on. You're walking around town, and you see the Braves hats and everything. I mean, everybody's coming together. It's really cool to see. And, yeah, and, and I just that, love seeing that around playoff time. Yeah. You see it as well on, like, a college football game day. If you go to any Publix or Walmart or Lowe's or wherever in Atlanta, you're going to see a lot of Georgia shirts and jerseys, some Georgia Tech, some Auburn, maybe a couple of Florida, Alabama. Right. Yeah. Right. Mix so. in a little Tennessee, Gwinnett's <laughs> yeah. chock full of UT grads. But yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a growing interest in what's going on. And, and the reason is we've got young guys locked down for a long time. You know, you've got MVP candidates all over the place. you got a Cy Young candidate Look out. That's, uh, that's in the mix there, too. I mean, like, you know, this is what we – this is what Rusty and I grew up with as the Braves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The future is bright, and given all the uh, downsides so far this year with the Soroka injury and having to get through all those games with what I'd call junk pitching, and they're still uh, where they are right now, and it's all coming together, it's really exciting. Right on. Now, you know, we're not here just to gloat, uh, because uh, <laughs> if we're talking about ATL sports, uh, we're also talking about the Falcons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, choke, choke. <laughs> well, last night wasn't a choke. We just got our asses kicked. <laughs> I, you know, I was kind of rooting for that, though. I just I want Quinn out of town. I don't know what it's going to take at this point. I mean, he's blown so many leads, gotten dragged by the t- 
teams like the Packers last night. I, I don't know what Arthur's waiting for. It, it, yeah, it feels like, I mean, everybody said going into this season that, you know, this is a make or break kind of season. Well, it's break, 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 break. And how long are you going to break till <laughs> something's got to change? Yeah. Well, how, uh, yeah, how good must you feel as an owner of a franchise to set a, an all-time negative record for the first <laughs> team to ever go back-to-back with fourth-quarter double-digit, no, 15-point leads and oh, lose? Sure. Yeah, And then you uh, couple that with the Super Bowl collapse that, of course, everyone makes fun of. Well, I, and more power to them because it should be. It, oh, yeah. it should be made fun of. It just is. I, you know, it's I mean, I, it hurts. It's painful. It's you painful. Know? I've never been, I'll admit, as much into the Falcons a very fair weather with them compared to the Braves or UGA. But I'm just like, what the hell is going on over there? And I just kind of tuned out because I know that, like, I'm not going to get all invested in it right now because they're not going to make any changes and it's just the same old, same old. Yeah. So, Jackson, you're sitting here talking. I don't know if I don't know if Sherwin prepped you for this one. You're sitting here talking to two Georgia Tech alums. <laughs> so, um, and I know you talk UGA some. Uh, speaking, you know, Georgia Tech football here a bit. Um, <laughs> I I don't know what to say right now. So we we go out, we beat Florida State, and Florida State's always kind of a, a, a it's toss up year to year what that looks like. And then it feels like Sherwin total collapse since then, and back to our, you know, uh, well we're building again days. I don't know. What do you think? Um, and, I'd have to say, yeah, go ahead, Jackson. I did like. I wouldn't say I fully jumped in on the Georgia Tech bandwagon week one with the FSU win. I gave Sims a lot of praise and Collins. Um, had some Tech people coming after me for like uh, discounting them too much, but I thought it was an impressive win. I did. Uh, I picked them actually to beat UCF after getting a little too confident in that one, and then it kind of seemed it just played out the next three four weeks. That turned out Florida State was more just terrible, and Tech. <laughs> uh, I don't know that Tech's not terrible. I mean, they got the win, but I think you're kind of seeing it was more just Florida State being bad than Collins riding the ship so quickly. And I do have belief in him. Like I definitely think. He's going to turn around there. I just think it's going to take some more time. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you. Go ahead, Rusty. Uh, and, and it's recalibrating, which uh, is something that Georgia Tech fans are very adept at doing because we've been doing it for a long time. Like, all right, we beat Florida State, we're going to be somebody, and then like, oh, it turns out Florida State sucks, and so do we. Uh, okay, well, we'll just do our thing. Hey, they serve uh, they serve beer at our uh, stadium now. That's kind of cool. Uh, whenever we get to go back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> I keep saying, I mean, uh, us nerds, man, uh, we'll, we'll drink some daggum beer during the game. So Georgia Tech Athletics should have about triple their normal take. <laughs> even even in COVID and, and having to like have one-tenth capacity. <laughs> oh, for sure. And especially being NASCAR fans as well, I see you can't have NASCAR without beer, so... Oh, well, that's, uh, yeah, that just goes hand in hand right there. <laughs> One day we might have to revisit the blog I wrote after our first race that we went to in 2004 because I was <laughs> absolutely astounded by an in-the-moment joke that Rusty told because he just, it just was the first thing that came to his mind because we knew you could bring it in and we just didn't realize how egregious you could be with it. Oh, yeah. So we, I, I marched, we marched in with a rollback cooler that had like 65 
beers in it for three people or four. It was absurd. Wow. We all fell asleep in the stands at one point. <laughs> oh, could you man. bring in like any type of bag back then? Because I know now with COVID, they're doing like the clear bag policies. Oh, oh you could. Yeah, it was as long as it wasn't glass, but it you it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If it fits, it ships. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Gentlemen. People are getting really creative now in the pandemic with how they uh, stock theirs and put it in. They've got, like, these clear coolers I've seen. They've got, like, rolling plastic bags and stuff. It's crazy. Man, some NASCAR people, they 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 have uh, they get that redneck ingenuity in them, you know? Like, it's got to be a clear bag. Oh, you don't say, huh? Like, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> so no, I love my it. beer <laughs> yeah you know, at the end of the day like they still sell all the same beers they bring in they're only it's like say it's like five dollars a can which still compared to the braves is nothing but you know why not bring up your own pack and save 15 more bucks or whatever well let's go ahead and tear it down and get in the report card. here we go time to talk nascar a bit We've got first period with Dega. So, Jackson, give us your perspective, man. You were there. So, I, I got to admit, because I uh, moved houses this week and everything and pulled off a last-minute trip, I got there about the end of stage one, oh. and I left Atlanta 15 minutes before the green flag. And I'm, like, talking to my dad, and I'm, like, praying for cautions. And I think it didn't we, like, break a record in stage one for cautions, <laughs> yeah. I think. <laughs> Sounds about right. There was at least one red flag. Yeah, I just know that by the time we got there and all, stage one wasn't even complete, and we were leaving Atlanta like when the thing started, and I was blown away. So I got to see most of the big events. I was like pulling into the parking lot during the first Kyle Busch crash that I think knocked, I think it was Almirola out of the race. Um, and then from there, I was just blown away. I saw Jeff Gluck's Twitter poll on how the fans uh, interpreted it, and I was shocked that it only got 75%. I thought it was the best race of the four I've been to in person, hands down. Um, and I think NASCAR, I think because they like botched the ending with the rulings, that affected it. But being there in person, the racing was top-notch, and all the crashes and excitement, I haven't seen anything better. Well, you're right about uh, one thing. They had everything. The big one, they had yellow line violations. I mean, just drama, drama, drama everywhere. Um, and, uh, lead changes continued halfway, uh, home on the drive. Like I thought I was disappointed, you know, Elliot, oh, he got 22nd. He's on the brink of elimination if he doesn't start at the Roval. And then you find out when you're, uh, getting off I-20 that they scored him fifth after a protest and he's all good. And it was like, dang. Yeah. Yeah. So Sherwin, let's talk about that a little bit. The yellow line stuff. I mean, we had burrito getting busted, uh, Chase getting busted, and then getting unbusted. And uh, I mean, there's been drama all over the uh, <coughs> excuse me, not just Twitterverse, but uh, you know, all across NASCAR fandom. What, what, if anything, needs to happen about yellow line? I'm not sure. Uh, I I tend to want to lean on the competitors that offer opinions on this since I haven't done the thing and I don't really understand a lot of all the nuances or not the nuances, but like all the intricacies around how that's going to stop crashes. I think the reason why the rule exists right now is because NASCAR does not want to see another car hit the catch fence the way Bobby Allison did, which is what caused the restrictor plate to be invented. And then again with Carl Edwards 
um, off the Ryan Newman ricochet with the uh, Brad Keselowski, who knew what the rule was and yep. stayed on the line, and yep. that caused you know Carl to to wreck. Um, so I think they're trying their absolute best to avoid that situation uh, at all costs. And uh, there's always that law of unintended consequences that you're going to eventually find a situation where everybody's mad. Nobody's happy except <laughs> for the fans of the guy who won. Yep. And uh, and this but is the kind of conversation that it generates. Yeah, yeah. Did um, Did you think NASCAR got anything wrong? I thought they got the chase thing wrong, and that wasn't even because uh, of subjectively being a fan. I thought I looked at it, and I was like, I don't know about all that. And so not only did they reverse his penalty, they gave that penalty to the car that pushed him down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was quite the reversal. I mean, I was definitely glad to see it being biased as a chase fan, but I was like, dang, they really gave Busher a penalty instead. Yeah. I think one thing that it does is it kind of gives a black eye to that mantra that NASCAR's had for so long that says, we want the fans who leave the stands to know exactly who won the race. And not only that, but, you know, who's second, yeah, third, definitely et failed at that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so this kind of put a, a black eye on that one. Uh, I see. Yeah, uh, being there in person, like uh, Denny did his little burnout and it kind of reminded me of like Chick Hicks winning in the cars movie. It was like he was celebrating and then they called him back to, hit road for a second and they did the replay and all the fans that were still there were yelling like no like wave it off that he didn't win and i know that denny like isn't one of the favorite drivers but <laughs> and that was mostly chase fans but they were all ticked off when they announced that there was no violation i heard a lot of like are you kidding me's and stuff like that and then just kind of ended went to the parking lot then i found out you know the chase got penalized and i heard a couple groans as people got in their cars and then I took to Twitter and, of course, expressed my frustrations with everyone <laughs> else and saw it got fixed about an hour later. So, Yeah. Um, and Sherwin, I'm seeing in the, uh, in the uh, chat wall here, old Beast says uh, he likes what he heard on DBC uh, where they said, ditch a yellow line for the last lap. What do you think about that? I'm fine with it. Does that put more I mean, cars I... <laughs> into the catch fence? I mean, isn't that, uh, isn't that the time to do that? Or do you think they stay down – and then just slow down toward the end. Well, I mean, of the ones that we've seen in the last uh, handful or two hands full of years, you know, it was Kyle Larson at Daytona in an Xfinity race, and it was, you know, Carl at Talladega, as I already mentioned. Um, I don't know how many data points we need to suggest that we're doing everything we possibly can to keep people safe, but we have done a good enough job over the past 10 years of keeping people safe that they're starting to lose sight of the, of that safety aspect of the of the puzzle and i i think we should caution ourselves before we make you know a decision that that might lead to an unsafe event mm-hmm. so let's move on to second period here with the schedule so it was just released right after last week's podcast we were uh talking with jeff striegel and and hypothesizing and you know uh, some information trickling in um, but really there was no huge difference between what the rumors were at the time and what reality had. So just recapping, we've got Coda, we've got Nashville, we've got Road America, we've got Darlington as second race. Interestingly and amazingly, uh, Atlanta second race, uh, Indy road course, and uh, the, the big um, elephant in the room with Bristol dirt, 
Uh, all-star race at Texas, um, no changes of playoffs. And then the things that are out, there's a, a Dover out, Chicago out, a Michigan, one of the Michigan races out, Kentucky out, and no more Brickyard, uh, which is, um, you know, kind of interesting. A lot of big changes. Yeah, yeah. So big swings. We talked about it last week in terms of, you know, uh, the the uh, bravery, if you will, to make some big swings, to, uh, to do some big changes. They've, they've done quite a bit. You know, one that I'll let's let's dive into this one a little bit. We did a little bit last week, Sherwin, and and I think with with a sort of bitten tongue, you were saying I'm not so sure about this whole Bristol dirt thing. And and two things that I read I thought were uh, quite interesting. Um, first one was Richard Petty, who he pretty much said we've spent our entire careers trying to. Uh, solidify ourselves as a you know real sport as a real thing and uh, he said dirt track racing is not professional so we're going backward it'd be like taking a pro football team and going back to play at a high school field I thought that was a very strong and unexpected reaction in a way Sherwin yeah I don't hate what he said at all because I guess I'm aligned pretty well with all the other attention that, that we've gotten from the people that regularly follow us, right? So we're in a bubble, so to speak, in that respect. Um, but if we were going to run a dirt race, um, why would we cover up one of our only short tracks with dirt? It already has so much uniqueness to it anyway and so much intrigue. Um, yeah, they'll probably sell tickets for the first year, but... Y'all better be prepared, whoever actually gets those tickets. Maybe it's everybody if, you know, things start to come around in our favor on the, on the you know, viral stuff. But, uh, and they'll probably sell a bunch of tickets. But those, those cars are going to be doing, I don't know, five or six seconds slower lap times than what we're used to seeing at Bristol. Mm-hmm. Jackson? Um, you know, I went to the, the All-Star and the night race this year. And I just got to say, like, out of Dega and Bristol – Dega is my favorite for the racing, but Bristol, the stadium is so damn cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that factor at all is lost. I like the racing there, but I do think it's a shame you got you got two short track races now there. Why take one away? It's uh, unique. We don't have many short tracks other than that in Martinsville, pretty much. Um, I'd go somewhere where it's a true dirt track, where it's like meant for that. If you're gonna race on dirt, I wouldn't or add like a third Bristol race, do one on dirt. I wouldn't. Take away one of your two uh, crown jewel races there. But I, I may still go and check it out. I think it'll be cool. And I think after uh, seeing it hyped up in like the movie Cars and seeing all the little minor league dirt races, I just think it'll be cool to try it out in NASCAR. I was intrigued by, uh, by uh, the King's analysis that, uh, I mean, he said, not just analysis, I mean, he blatantly said it. Like I said, dirt track racing is not professional. I was like, ooh, there's a lot of people that, respect and listen to you who i'm not sure they would agree you know <laughs> like look at yeah look at casey I mean, came today kyle look at kyle larson yeah uh it, it feels like now it, maybe what he's meaning and i'm putting words in his mouth if i say this but in nascar you're talking about millions of dollars in dirt you're probably talking more hundreds of thousands um yeah so maybe that's it but that's throwing him a pretty big bone sherwin yeah I, it wouldn't be hundreds of thousands, uh, unless you're Kyle Larson <laughs> right now. Um, now there's a lot of intrigue. I mean, obviously, but it's not new. Like we, we, you know, if you, 
paid as much attention to the history as as I do, and this is why I'm intrigued by the idea of Hendrick bringing back the number 25 because of Tim Richmond's dirt history, which is phenomenal, by the way. Uh, Turned the fastest lap at the track he ever turned his first lap at (laughs) in a sprint car. That's special. Uh, It's been going on for 30-something years now in terms of that history. So I just don't – I tend – I thought Richard was really salty with mm. his approach to how he says it, but he's from a different generation mm. and they say things different. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what I would align with though, is that it's not so much that it's not professional. It's that cup racing doesn't need dirt to put on a good show. We don't need some, something weird. We figured out what the weird thing to do. That's fun. That's run on a road course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, and and here's where I I'm better aligned. Uh, I think Gluck had said it's like painting the Sistine Chapel with SpongeBob stencils. Oh, I did see that one. <laughs> so. I think that's a bit extreme, but I mean I like the comparison. I like it too because uh, I mean we understand Jeff's personality pretty well, and but it's not. I mean it's not not unfair in a lot of ways. And and another reason why I would align with that perspective is that. If dirt racing is what you want to see, if that's your jam for a Friday or a Saturday night, almost everybody lives within a reasonable driving distance of a dirt track. Yeah. They don't all. uh, Yeah. They Woodstock or I think. Yeah. Woodstock. Oh yeah. Dixie Motor Speedway, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been, but I've wanted to check it out. But I mean, like you can go. Winder Barrow. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh well we'll have to we'll have to set up an outing to Dixie. Uh that place is just so much fun. I mean, uh the the value that you get for uh I mean it's almost the same as free and that's not to like flex or anything. It's just like yeah. it's I fifteen saw bucks. Like five to, or ten bucks and it's like bring your own food and all. Yeah. Yeah, that good. and that's the sit in the stands. If you, you can back your truck right up to turn two for twenty bucks a head in a pickup truck. And you bring all your tailgate stuff, lawn chairs, as much beer as your truck can carry. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just different, and it's different good. It it's different good. No, it sounds awesome. I did notice though. I mean, obviously, like because it's not the big national event that NASCAR is, the prize money for your average Saturday race is going to be like two, three thousand dollars instead of like hundreds of thousands or something. Sure. Cor- correct. Sure. But uh, you know what? This uh, that two, three thousand means as much to these guys or maybe more than it does the the half million or million yeah. that goes into the, the purses at, at the uh, big tracks. For so, sure. Because win or lose, Chase Elliott's still making bank every week. There's fans, which is no doubt. And everything. No doubt about that. Um, you know, I was reading it, it uh, and I think we talked about it last week a bit that, you know, very much Fox influenced here. So, um yeah, they're uh, you know hinting and you know tapping elbows and kind of going, hey, how about how about dirt racing at Bristol? Um, it's a it's an interesting development, I guess. Um, but then you know Atlanta in the mix, and so Atlanta, uh, several things going on there. Uh, one, uh, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm ecstatic about Atlanta getting another race, obviously, but. What what happened behind the scenes for Atlanta to get a second race and for like Kentucky to not get a second one? And it seems like there's a lot of things in motion that we don't know about yet, Sherwin. And 
some of the things that, that they're talking about, hey, we're, we'll do a repave. Well, while we're repaving, maybe a little bit of configuration change. And while we're, while we're doing all this construction, you remember this billion-dollar casino project with roller coasters and stuff that we had? How about we, uh, how about we talk about that thing again? Like, it, it seems like there could be a lot behind the scenes that we don't know about yeah, right now. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on the Atlanta one. Have at it. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I've never been to the Atlanta race since I, you know, got into NASCAR in mid-May and they didn't have fans for that one, but definitely going to go to at least one of those next year. Um, I did get to actually like drive my car on the track in July. It was right after the Bristol all-star. It was like a drive the track event. Mm-hmm. It's a cool place. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think in the stands, it'll be fun, but I've heard from all the fans and I've even seen on TV, like, the racing there isn't as good anymore because the track so desperately needs a repave, and it seems the drivers like Brad Kozlowski don't really want that because um, they like like the history of it and how it is right now. So I definitely think some changes need to be made to the track and all, and then I do anticipate that sports gambling is going to become legalized in Georgia, and they're going to have like the billion-dollar casino project going there in the next five, ten years. So I think I heard, I think it was like Bob mentioned that the uh, second race helps fund some of that development. And I'm looking forward to it. I also like the prospect of maybe the second Atlanta race being a night race as well. Yeah. Sherwin? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> well what I would say um, to you, Jackson, about the whole perspective on the surface is uh, the folks that are in the same crowd as Rusty and I are in, which is the same crowd mostly as the drivers are in is that the rough surface allows for a couple of more variables to be introduced to how you run a race. Um, tire management starts to become part of the equation. Uh, I personally would like to see the low down force, uh, high horsepower, uh, situation there. Um, I don't know that we'll get that, but, um, Atlanta has in the past lended itself to being a getaway race where somebody just goes and gets gone. Uh, Kurt Busch comes to mind. Um, but it also has had some, some pretty amazing moments like Jimmy and Jeff. Uh, and it's been 10 years now, but that was still, I mean, that's a sight to behold for 20 laps. They were just, they were the only thing going on in the race because it was so wild. They're, the lines they would pick, you know, if they pave Atlanta, I mean, the biggest fear is what happened at Charlotte and what happened at Michigan. And uh, even uh, to a lesser degree at Kentucky was you got this big old track, but there ain't but one lane you can run in mm-hmm. and that's no good. Yeah. Yeah. And they're definitely, you know, if we're going to repave it and we're going to have the bulldozers out there, we might as well start looking at, uh, like I said, maybe a reconfiguration, maybe more of an oval I mean. uh, type of situation. And um, on top of that, um, I, I feel like I'm I'm coming around to an Atlanta repave, and I hate that I am because the reason I'm coming around is that I don't think NASCAR has shown that they're going to go back to the days of the package that really shined at Atlanta and the car that really shined at Atlanta. Sure, when you remember me and you watching Casey Kane just it, ticking off – uh, a tenth every lap like you just be consistent and the fastest guy out there was going to get to the front and I just don't feel like right now and I don't know if that's a paving problem either I mean it, we might repave it and it just uh, uh, exacerbates the issue um, but uh, you know there's opportunities here too for reconfiguration like I said I, I saw uh, stuff talking about oval like uh, like a Michigan or uh, to a degree of California or something like that well <clears throat> the original 
configuration of Atlanta, uh, which, by the way, is the original mile and a half. Super Speedway is what they called it at the time. It's not anymore, thanks to Talladega and Daytona, but uh, in their current states. But um, it used to be a pure oval, and the front stretch used to be where the back stretch is now. And it was designed based on purely on what Americans wanted out of a muscle car, or at that time, a big body car um, with a lot of motor, which was quarter mile drag strips and uh, half mile turns. That's mm-hmm. what that's what that place used to be before the quad oval SMI takeover. So uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if they said, all right, we're just going to extend the stands down back, you know, back into where some of the track is right now. They'll have to figure out what they're going to do with legends. If they do do that, that's going to be part of the puzzle because that's a development process for NASCAR. Um, but uh, there are going to be a lot of people that will be excited about that. And they're going to have to figure out how to pave had to start with a surface to have some some roughness to it. Yeah. I agree. Um, one thing I want to ask y'all is with the 1.5s like Atlanta, and I know like Harvick right now, I'm, I'm going to say likely is going to win the championship, not guaranteed, but won the regular season, and he's one of the top drivers. But it just seems so repetitive to me all summer, and I know I'm biased as a Chase fan, but it's like, it's not a road course or a super speedway, and it's just a 1.5. It's going to be Harvick or Hamlin, like, every damn week winning. And that kind of, like, annoyed me to some extent. I mean, I credit to them. They're great racers. But I feel like NASCAR is trying to fix that a little bit and maybe keep its audience because it gets stagnant. Well, I, you know, I wonder about that, too. And I wonder how much data that is actually available for reasonable process on that. Um Every racetrack can put on a stinker. There was, I mean, 12 years ago, people were raising almighty hell about how they, you know, they repaved Bristol with brand new concrete. And then the very next year, they ground down the top because all anybody could do is run the top. And so I I, complain about that repaved. Right. Well, they're gonna. People are gonna complain anyway. That, that's just part of it. That that's one of the things you learn. That that those are the loudest people, uh, especially in the Twitter space. Uh, and and at times I'm one of them. So you know I'll own some guilt there. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think a a reconfiguration, if at all, needs to be back to the original mile and a half. Yeah, and and we gotta we gotta talk about the other side of the coin too, which is the cars, um, where. The the cars right now, the way that they can get out front, Sherwin, you just talked about this, and and just drive away, the the solution, the band-aid or whatever it is that NASCAR put on that was, okay, well, let's, let's kind of govern them, restrict them a bit, um, whether it be horsepower or whatever else, um, and, and downforce, and, and bunch them up more. But that wasn't really what made it great before. Uh, what made it great before was that they just couldn't get out there like that. You know, clean air didn't mean... An extra yeah, tenth of the one point fives. It's all about the clean air. If you don't have much tire wear these days, yeah. And so you know, it mattered a little bit. You get, you got a little bit, but the fastest guy behind you. I mean, now now y'all got a race for it. Um, whereas uh, you know, if you if you gain two tenths by being up front, uh, ain't nobody going to catch up two tenths. You know what I mean? No, and there'd be guys on old tires that could outrun. And a lot of these, the guys on a set of four new ones just because they were out front. Yeah, and that's where the scratched-up surface mattered 
too, because, okay, well, uh, sure, when we used to make fun of Jeff Gordon um, and, and love the guy, but we'd make fun of him for just roasting his tires. He'd, he'd take a three-second lead at Atlanta, and you're like, okay, dude, well, we're only uh, ten laps into this run. You're, you're about to <laughs> uh, just be rolling on rims here in a minute. <laughs> so Yeah, well, that the package has a huge deal, and the tire plays a role, and there's some competing interests there. Atlanta is not a track where you want to run a high downforce. We we had that. It failed. Mm-hmm. It was called IROC. Was it fun to watch? Yeah, I saw one of them. I thought it was neat just because of what it was, but it was an exhibition. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a cup points paying race. You know, it was, you know, 150 miles or something. It wasn't 500 miles. Mm-hmm. So the package matters. They need to be running 1,000 horsepower. They need to be running about 1,250 points down force and uh let these guys go where they're best i mean that harvick is killing in at atlanta and other mile and a half because he got something in his brain how to get to the bottom at places where you know the car may not want to run the bottom if you don't know how to drive it that way and a lot of guys don't but it also offers you know the high side to people that that's where they do you know, we've. How many times have you heard the rhetoric that if Kyle Larson makes it to the top four to Homestead, y'all better watch the hell out because he runs the high line better than anybody else except maybe Junior, when Junior was the best at it. You know, that's up for debate, and we don't need to get into that debate. But you know, I mean, you just need multiple lines. That's what you need. And the thing with Goodyear in terms of the competing interests. They have a marketing plan they have to put together that says this is why you should buy Goodyear tires. And it can't be that everybody's bitching about the tire being so hard it never wore and you could put two tires on at a place you never were supposed to, like Darlington 10 years ago when they repaved that joint. And you also don't want people hitting the wall at Michigan at 212 miles an hour like Casey and some other guys have done. Because uh, that's dangerous as hell. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. And um, oh shoot, what was I going to say about it? But uh, yeah, it's just I, like I said, we got we got to talk about the package too, and we're talking about that stuff, and and making sure that you know we're we're not going to uh, Atlanta has an opportunity here, I guess the way to put it, uh, to really make something. And if we make it something that really works for the old cars, we're just not going to see something. So anyway. Let's talk about the silly season a bit. Um, <laughs> uh, very unrelated, related. We have Bowman taking over the 48 car in 2021. How about that, Sherwin? I was kind of surprised that that was the way they went, but I'm not surprised that Ally's influence about being on a championship brand was the way they preferred to go. So basically, the the key cogs of the 88 team are going to move over into the 48 shop and rebrand as the 48, which they're in the same shop. If you remember Rusty, when we went and visited the 48 and the 88 are in the same wing. So they have two wings at HMS um, and the nine and the uh, what's the other car number (laughs) 24 (laughs) are on the other side. Um, I didn't expect that to be the way it went. What I did expect is whoever the fourth driver to be, is is not going to be driving the number that that team has represented lately. I thought it would be the 48. Looks like it's going to be the 88. Wouldn't be at all shocked if Rick decided to go five from his original number from All-Star Racing back Mm -hmm. in 1982, I think, with Jeff Bodine. But I would choose Tim Richmond's number because I think 
the driver Goosebumps. that appears to be headed to that car is a very good fit for the brand that was Tim Richmond's Folgers 25. Yeah, yeah. And so interesting timing that we have, um, you know, I, I mean, maybe this is tinfoil hat or whatever, but Larson's kind of public address of his journey uh, over the last few months and his desire to return yeah, all happens all in, up perfectly. It, yeah, all happens. I, I think that was intentional. Right, right. <laughs> so is this one of those worst kept secrets? What do you think, Jackson? Um, I mean, I've been following it, and I know lately everyone's saying Larson. I was thinking even this morning before all that came out, could it be Eric Jones? But I think I'm leaning Larson on this one. Um, and then on the 48, to mention that one, I'm a little surprised that they're going to fill Jimmy Johnson's shoes by just, you know, uh, moving over Bowman. But I think it's brilliant as far as keeping his merchandise sales up and helping Team Hendrick that all of his fans are not going to buy the 48 gear and change out all their numbers and everything and hitch covers and stuff like that. So I think it's like a win-win for Hendrick and they're just going to boost their uh, sales and everything. Yeah, and it might be opportunistic in that, okay, well, if we're talking Larson, uh, let's not put necessarily him in the 48, and I love the idea with the with the Tim Richmond uh, uh, number, Sherwin. And uh, so who do we move over there? Well, Bowman is, uh, you know, uh, that makes – given Kyle Larson, you know, here's, here's those logic problems. Given Kyle Larson, then Bowman to the 48 makes a lot of sense. Um, not given Kyle Larson, it's interesting. But yeah, uh, but so that points to strong correlation between all that stuff. Uh, like I said, my tenfold hat was pretty strong seeing those two things come out around the same time, and that, that's not to take away from you know uh, Larson's uh, being heartfelt about this, but it was uh, you know very much timing um, yeah. related. I kind of took it that they don't want an outside driver to replace the legendary Jimmy Johnson just yet in the forty-eight car. They kind of want to keep that in the. Hendrick family, like how Chase went to the 24, and then it was Byron after uh, Jeff Gordon's retirement. Yeah, yeah, and Chase in the 9 is just, you know, uh, the way things are supposed to be. I'm about to drive through Dawsonville here on Highway 9 uh, this coming weekend. Like, uh, you know, that that's just the way things are. <laughs> yeah, so, Bill running the 9 for so long. Yeah, yeah. So Well, we've got our own personal attachment, you know, coming out of uh, – some different changes in the sport uh, with with Bill retiring and and you know I re- I, I pointed Rusty at uh, Rusty Wallace but he retired in 05 and then we just kind of we just kind of latched on to Casey Kane and so yep. that nine has has been a part of our NASCAR fandom for a long time so to see it come back yeah, obviously yeah. with the hometown kid uh, and yeah, I've been watching Chase since he was like nine. Yeah, a lot of nines. I've got a lot of nine <laughs> gear that is easily repurposed. <laughs> I just think it was strange, like, when Chase was in the 24, I like how they kept the Jeff Gordon scheme alive for most of Byron's races. I know he has a couple alternate schemes, but I like that, that fire pattern scheme. And then when it was the Napa uh, royal blue and yellow, it just didn't seem right to me. Like, Chase is meant more for the nine. Mm-hmm. So let's talk playoffs a bit. Uh, right now, as they stand, Logano and Bowman are in, uh, plus 21 and 22 points each. Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon are out at minus 21 each. You know, it feels like one of those, well, if you got a heartbeat and you start the race and nobody wins, then uh, nobody that's below the line wins, then we're good. We still got uh, Boyer and Almarola 
uh, further down. So certainly win chances there. Um, uh, and especially going to Roval. Those two have to win to advance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so <clears throat> going into Roval, you know, and, and we talked about it before, Kyle Busch kind of saying, well, we'll be out in the next round anyway. And, and that uh, coming true if it's, uh, you know, if we're not at a win situation. But, um, Sherwin, what do you think chances are for anybody outside right now? We talked last week about, you know, taking somebody versus the field. What do you think about, like, uh, Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon, Boyer, and Almirola versus the field? I don't know that I like that bet uh, if I was going to be putting my money in the pot. Mm-hmm. What I would say is Kyle and Clint are both very good road racers. Um, Al Marola, maybe maybe he's sneaky, like a top 10 kind of guy where you don't expect it at a road course. Um, Dylan, forget about oh, it. <laughs> it's, that's 25th or worse. <laughs> Unless something really weird happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm not taking any one of them against the field because the field includes folks like Chase Elliott and includes folks like everybody we've been talking about uh, every week, the the Harvick, the Hamlins, uh, the Brad Keselowskis, um, shoot, even Joey Logano, who's currently in. Uh, Alex Bowman, uh, you know, could do something there, Ed, because that's what the field is in that case. And and I'm just not seeing any one of them making one two years ago. Uh, say that again there, uh, Jackson. Uh, and also Ryan Blaney, I think, who won it two years ago. Yeah, yeah he won the first one. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's, he's got nothing to lose at this point. So, you know, make make some waves, make something happen. So it is a uh, – we, we feel like – I feel like we're in a consensus here, and it is a tall hill to climb uh, yeah. for those folks. I wouldn't take that bet, but I also wouldn't count – Kyle out because I mean we've said it all year and the broadcast says it every week he can't count Kyle out even though he's winless but I remember at uh, the uh, Daytona road course he ran pretty well and I think he got in a wreck or something went wrong I remember but he was running up there with Elliot and uh, Truex for a while you know I said that all season about Jimmy Johnson do not count Jimmy Johnson out he makes playoffs he's consistent he does it and I got burned and I ain't getting burned a second time. <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, thinking that suddenly Kyle Busch has a uh, a light switch that turns on or that. Uh, and and really, it's not just Kyle Busch. It's that team. It's that car. It's everything that goes into that. And I I don't I don't know how. Um, you know, I, I would be very luck. surprised. I mean, he's super talented and all. I don't really like his attitude, although he's pretty funny and it's good for NASCAR. I think to have that villain role, but. Uh, it's just crazy to me all the bad luck he has. I mean, we talk about Chase Elliott always gets robbed at the end of races with a late caution or running out of fuel, but Kyle Busch every week it's just some random wreck or blows a tire or something happens this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last one here. Uh, Sherwin, I saw that uh, Haley Deegan possibly making a truck debut soon at Kansas. Uh, they kind of, uh, they kind of, um, I don't know, buried the lead or whatever you want to call it, but like her name appears on the uh, entry list, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, well, I think that's what we thought was going to happen, despite the fact that there's a lot of conversation around, has she really done enough where she's at to get to to trucks? But she's got marketing power, and as long as she doesn't upset Ford the same way she upset Chevy and Toyota... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the next step. I don't know, you know, which team they're targeting, but 
yeah, four performance. Haley Deegan, that's the thing right now. She's going to have to start behaving a little better, probably. Mm-hmm. Not make so many enemies there. Gentlemen, it's time to gas it up. Let's do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is the Roval. Um, you know, the one that uh, I was super skeptical about the first time we ran it and then had a blast watching it and uh, anticipate having a blast seeing it again this time, um, uh, even though we're, uh, whatever it is, three three years into it, whatever. Um yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. It is. There's so much that can happen. Uh, you know, Sherwin, I would I would even uh, let me see if I want to say this. I think I do. I would even say, going back to our last topic, that I where do you? I, I'll ask this to you. I know I'm stumbling over words right now. Uh, Boyer versus Kyle Busch. Who are you taking as a bet for? You know, not necessarily one to finish, but who's going to finish higher? And I feel like I could I could say Clint Boyer right here. That's a tough one. Yeah, I, I'm with you on Clint. I I think Clint, despite the fact that his radio is maybe equally as volatile as Kyle's, <laughs> it's just volatile in a wildly different way. And I don't have a large data set for Clint Boyer overdriving his car. Mm-hmm. I think he's a little bit more calculated than Kyle is. And I think if Kyle, knowing he has to win, if he starts sniffing the top five, he's probably going to do some things with his car that may cause one of the most talented drivers in, in the sport to run out of talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just say it's tortoise and hare, uh, you know, is what that feels like. Um, uh, yeah. Jackson, what do you think? Um, like you said, I think that's a really tough one. Cause both have had their fair share of like bad luck or crashes this year. I'm going to go Kyle just because, his energy and drive. And like you said, if he finds his way up there and thinks he has a shot, he's going to go all in balls to the wall, Joey Logano mode. And I think he's going <laughs> to pull out a surprise or something. I don't think Kyle would be afraid at all to wreck the leaders for the win or anything, especially with that being do or die. So I'm going to go with Kyle. I don't think Boya really has that edge as much. You know, I, I understand where you're coming from. For me, it, uh, I already said it. If you've been burned once this season, uh, backing a veteran i ain't doing it twice dadgummit <laughs> so that brings us to picks uh gentlemen i'm picking kyle bush for this right now i'm joking um <laughs> uh yeah let's uh let's do it Sherwin. last week uh you picked blaney who finished 25th uh i picked almarola who finished 37th um and <laughs> jeff striegel picked austin dillon who got 12th interestingly had he picked his brother ty, ty dillon he would have gotten third so uh, funny how that works out, uh, like Jackson just said, at, at Talladega. Uh, I think all of those guys, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but I think all those guys might have had laps led, Sherwin. <laughs> uh, more than likely. More than likely. Especially Brad, for sure. Uh, I know Almarola led because I watched him do it. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, you picked him, so I was paying attention. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, I think three of the four of us picked guys who have led this race and, yeah. like, only two guys are still running or, or whatever the joke was. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, we we were all over it in terms of guys leading laps. Yeah. So, with that, Jackson, why don't you give us a pick for the um, Roval? I mean, I really want to go chase Elliott out of, like, bias and stats and everything. I definitely think he's going to run a top ten, probably a top five. But my gut tells me for some reason, because everyone's picking him, that it's going to be like 
maybe a Truex upset or someone like that. I think we haven't really heard from him in the last couple of weeks, so I feel like he pulls it out. All right, stone cold lock of the century. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. there. Um, Sherwin, I I don't know where you're going with this because I, I can go several people, but I, I would agree in a way that it's chases to lose at this point. Um, he, he has um, – you know some strong finishes. He's coming off the the emotional roller coaster of this last weekend. Uh, even even in the last couple hours of uh, what happened toward uh, toward the end, um, I got to go chase Elliott. Um, and maybe I'll stop picking him after this time. Um, but I've, I've been saving my chase pick this round uh, to go uh, with the Roval. So Sherwin, what's it going to be? That's a great question. I've been mulling over a couple. <laughs> um. I think I'm going to go with uh, Blaney. Blaney for two weeks yeah. in a row. Yeah, that is two weeks in a row, isn't it? Yeah, I, I seem to be making a habit of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, fill it up I again to win Bristol, and that didn't go too well. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, Truex Chase Blaney. Um, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be watching them. We'll be watching everybody with that gentleman. It's time to close this thing out. Uh, I can't believe it's already been an hour once again. But uh, is what it is. Uh, Jackson, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? What's coming up next? You can uh, find me on ATL Sportswire on Twitter, Instagram, just about everywhere, atlsportswire.com. Always open to talk NASCAR with y'all, and uh, thanks for having me on. Right on. Uh, Sherwin, close us out. Tell the folks where they can find us. Yes, sir. You can find me at Pregame Engineer on Twitter, at Andrew L. Sherwin on Instagram. You can find PETM Podcast and just about anywhere you'd want to find it. Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, you name it. We're all over that. That's right. Rusty, where you at? Right. As always, I'm Tailgate Mayor Rusty Wallace at Tailgate Mayor. You can find us, uh, like Sherwin said, PETMPodcast.com at PETM. At PETM Podcast, I can't open or close the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't wait to see the Rebel. Can't wait to talk to y'all next week. It's going to be a fun one. We will uh, see you then. Enjoy the race. Skew!